0: It's kind of an inevitability.
1: You're recording, right? I am recording. (laughs) We're flexing, flexing and being flexible. (laughs) Was she singing, Larry? Tell me she was singing.
0: She may have been singing. (laughs) Welcome to another potentially useful episode of the T-Caps Loop Podcast. My name is Larry Burden, and coming to us virtually from parts unknown, it's Danielle Brostrom, Steffi Light, and the technologist, David Noller. Greetings all. Um, Before we cut into the meat of the show, we must start, as always, with this week's moment of zen. Why do you go away? So that you can come back. So that you can see the place you came from with new eyes and extra colors. And the people there see you differently too. Coming back to where you started is not the same as never leaving. Thank you, Terry Pratchett. All right, so let's dig into this. Um, it's been gosh, how many months now since we've had a pod? You know, I didn't. I, I, sh- sure. I should have actually looked in this. I did not. I did not um, see the timestamp of the date of our last pod, but I have to think it was probably February, maybe probably March. March. I
2: think maybe March.
0: March, yeah. So yeah, six or seven. So, you know, nothing's happened in that time. <laughs> it's been <laughs> kind of quiet.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Status quo.
0: So, you know, maybe before we even get into the, the topic, maybe we should just kind of go around and, um, you know, how how's everybody been? What have we been up to? Dave, if you want to start, sure. Um,
3: I read a ton of books uh, during the time that we were away and leading into the summer. Um, um, I, I gave myself permission about three years ago to get back into reading books for pleasure uh, and not be so focused always on school and so focused always on my job as the thing that I would read about. Um, and this year, since January, I've read something like 31 or 32 books just purely for fun uh, and so i spent a lot of my days we had such a nice summer i spent a lot of my days on the beach either paddleboarding out to jump in the water and then paddleboarding back to sit on the beach and read my book or going someplace and sitting in a chair under a tree and reading a book um i've done an awful lot of that and it's been great uh you know there's been so much that's out there that's difficult but being able to sit somewhere and just read a book that you enjoy because it's fun and entertaining and it's just you and that book and you don't have to worry about everything else. Uh, it was a happy place for me. Um, and that's that's frankly a lot of what I did over the last few months is find places to read and, and do it. Did you oh, find gentlemen. any
1: favorites?
3: You know, I have what's, I guess it's called like recency syndrome or recency bias. Every new book I read that I like is a new favorite. But I will say this, Becky Chambers has a trilogy called The Wayfarers, and it starts with uh, A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, something like that. Um, And it's three books, and each book is written in a different style, with a different kind of narrative structure, with a different voice. So it's a trilogy, but each book could be a standalone. Hmm. And I consider it a masterful work. I think it won a Hugo for best series. Hmm. After the third one came out, it won an award for like being the best sci-fi series. Um, So it's called The Wayfarers uh, by Becky Chambers. And that's fantastic. I can't recommend that highly enough if you like sci-fi. And it's smart sci-fi. Um, it's really about relationships. It's really about how distance and travel and, um, how that affects the human relationship with each other. There's a lot of interspecies connections. So it gets into questions about identity and even gender. And, um, Hmm. you know, it's so great. It's very, very wonderful. You can't find her on Twitter though, because she got hate mailed to death. So um, because she deals with things like race and gender and identity. um, So she got chased off of Twitter, but I emailed her and told her how much I loved her books and maybe she'll write me back someday.
1: That's awesome.
0: How about you,
3: Steffi?
1: Well, let's see. Um, You know, I was doing a lot of reading as well. um, And uh, the i wouldn't i wouldn't say they were like i was taking a couple grad classes so one of those was heavy reading and it was interesting to be looking at books in the context of what's going on in the world right so just like people were watching contagion it felt like that what you noticed about the books were the things that or for me you know you'd know like wait they're at a restaurant that sounds so strange like what are mm-hmm. they doing why are they? Why are they hugging each other out in public? This is so odd. Um, but one of the, the a couple there are a couple great ones, uh, lots of great ones actually. But um, where the world ends is a really interesting book up for uh, upper middle school, high school. Um, but they are headed out to. It's during the smallpox, and it's a group of boys who go out to this rock to do this hunting thing, and then. The town is hit by smallpox, so nobody comes to get them. And then it's a sort of uh, Lord of the Flies, but more hopeful. I don't know. I thought it was fabulous. And, yeah, I think if if we could all just spend a whole lot of time reading for whatever pleasure reading or <laughs> work reading, I think the world would be a better place.
0: Agreed. Danielle? Yes. I
3: love the idea of
2: that book. I just wrote down the title. It's good. I love getting book ideas from you guys. Um, We just spent a lot of time here connecting with nature. We spent a lot of time hiking and being outside. Um, I took a mountain biking. So my biggest goal is not to get lost and not to smash my bike into a tree. Um, that's fun. <laughs> we got a pandemic puppy. So, um, oh. the puppy had her, got spayed yesterday. So she's currently laying on the couch in a onesie. <laughs> so, um, oh. that's a little glimpse into, into my world right now.
3: Did you name the puppy like Covey or 19?
2: Or- <laughs> no, her Anna. name is Andy. But it's nice to find, find the joy. Sometimes I think we get so yeah. busy in what needs to be done that just that reconnecting with nature and, Again, watching the puppy run around like that's been really good for my soul.
0: That's great. Larry, what about you? Uh a lot of work on the house. So uh mm-hmm. painting, new roof, that type of thing. So it's been very busy. Very, very busy, but fun. It's good to good to get the hands dirty. I think staying busy has been important. Having a thing to do and uh yeah. not get too caught up in 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 the chaos and your own mind sometimes is yeah, it's good. It's good to travel, uh, be it um, you know. Obviously, now it's 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 within our our heads and through books and literature as opposed to actually doing it. But I think having that op- opportunity to kind of leave your space is is important. So let's dig into the the topics. Uh, you know, David brought this up, and I thought it was exactly the framing device for how we should maybe start this uh, this first pot of the year. And that is a uh, flexibility in the, in the face of change. He had avalanche of change, but I thought that might be a little much. So we, we, we took it down a little bit. And, um, you you know,
3: know, avalanches don't have to be bad. We've seen those videos of the dude that gets caught in the avalanche skiing and then he skis out of it. Right. Like he makes it through and he survives and somehow, I don't know, maybe oh, <laughs> so I like that. It's, it's still scary, but as long as he's okay, you know,
0: well, I we'll like hope, it. I, I think, I think we're going to be okay. So maybe. The maybe it, 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 absolutely. So I guess the place to start is last spring. We, as, uh, as um, educators had to really shift gears very, very quickly um, in how we did our jobs last spring. And uh, it was very difficult. It was very difficult for everybody. Um, but I know we learned a lot in that time. What are some of the things that we learned um, from last spring in, in regards to educational technology and um, educating in that type of environment? And whoever wants to start, jump on in.
3: Uh, One of the things I think we were confronted with early was the idea that uh, some of our kids weren't prepared to work independently. And, and maybe part of that was a technological break. and that I, I, and I, I didn't know at the time whether it was a matter of not having enough practice within a classroom space where they got that ability to operate independently, or if it was a matter of just self-discipline or if it was uh, a kind of ex- kind of an excuse generation, I can't do it, just being a reason why they didn't want to. But I felt like as we went through, I had a group of kids that, that would come in um, to my meetings um, and they would stay and they would they'd be there the whole time. But most of them would have their cameras turned off. And at the time, we didn't have a policy so that said you had to have them on. Um, and I was I was actually kind of OK with that because they were still able to respond to the work that we were actually
0: presenting. I just saw a tweet. Um just this morning about a student who had goes to all the classes and has her camera turned off has her uh, mic muted the entire uh-huh. class but she engages in the chat right and actually stays afterwards to engage sure. with the teacher so she's a very um she is an engaged student but maybe didn't feel comfortable with the yeah. with the camera and the interaction
3: I feel like we have to have that flexibility within Um, how we're presenting to kids to, to offer that. I actually, before the school year started, before I knew there was going to be that kind of a policy, I sent something out in response to somebody else's tweet saying, you know, I'm, I'm going into somebody's home virtually. I would have to knock on the door and be invited in. If I was standing at the front door, I feel like as a virtual teacher, I should be knocking on the door and wait to be invited in through their camera because I am still in their home. And we did have some issues last spring where I had a couple students who I think weren't comfortable having their home viewed by the other members of their class because it was a cause for embarrassment or whatever you call that. Um, And so I had a couple of messages of, you know, do you mind if I, no, go ahead. I'll call on you once in a while and ask you a question. You respond, I'll know you're there. So that's that's a matter of that, that flexibility with kids where it comes down to a little bit of empathy and compassion and understanding and real world you know, analogies to things like knocking on a person's door and saying, can I come in instead of just peeking in their windows?
1: It's great that your student felt comfortable saying that to you. Like I just hey, can I? And you knew what that child needed and that worked.
3: At the same time, I I don't know if there are other students who are feeling the same way, but think that because they're rule followers, they have to just do what they're told. And I don't want them to feel like, you know, it's a matter of following the rule or, you know, like that that their um, feelings don't matter. Mm-hmm. Relevant or are subjected to the rule.
0: Of course, sure. How about you, Steffi?
1: Just um you know, overall thinking about the spring, there was so much focus on everybody's part on just the the nuts and bolts of how to deliver the emergency. Te- you know, it was a it was an um, you know an emergency format, and so looking at the fall, the differences are already apparent because there's been able we've been able to focus on the the why and the how more than the like okay like what is this going to look like you know focus on the how to make connections in a, a virtual format um you know simple things like saying hi to kids by name I see that happen a lot with our kiddos or with my kids as they're on their meetings and You know, that what we were talking about where everybody's craving seeing kids and having those interactions. I think teachers are able to um, foster those connections more readily, partially, too, because this this fall, it's new students. Right. It was kiddos that they had already been with in the spring. But I think everybody is like the the methodology and the delivery format has become more secondary to the content and to the connections than it was in the spring.
2: I agree with a lot of that. I think we it it was such an emergency that everything was new. We were surprised by how hard it was to keep kids engaged. We were surprised by how many distractions the kids had at home. We were surprised by the kids that didn't want to leave their cameras on, because why wouldn't you want to? And then The more we thought about it and realized kind of what was going on i i think i think we've just been able to really build on everything we learned on the spring and this falls we're just starting with a leg up i think because we've already done it we know how to do this
3: it's way more school now than it was then like then we had some policies that made it almost not even like school and we were trying those policies were designed to make it easy not easy gentle for the kids i think like we were trying to make let's get through this together and let's be, you know, gentle with each other. But some of those policies actually made it harder for kids to engage because they felt like they didn't have to. And now that we're back today, it, it feels like school. I'm online with my kids. We're doing this meeting through Google meet. Um, but it feels like it's school. It feels like it's not the same, um, no stakes (laughs) kind of approach that we, I felt like we had last spring. You know, if I had a kid that had an A in March and they just had to get 60% by June to get credit, because that was the only score they were going to get. There's a lot of stuff they didn't have to do, but that's not on the table anymore. So.
2: I think everybody's ready to get back to something that feels like normal, even if it's Mm -hmm. not normal and it's not going to be normal. And we all kind of know that it's something Mm -hmm. that feels a little a little normal and that feels good.
3: Yeah, I agree.
1: I think it's been interesting to see kids and maybe more in the secondary at, at that age level, but, um, and, and families too, though, looking at how almost this, um, more of a sense of like how their kids learn and what they need as independent learners. Like, you know, there's now these format options. And so when, when a family's saying OK, you know, my kiddo learns best in this way or this is what works better for my kiddo in a virtual format or, in a, you know, or in a live format. But I think families and and the whole community have had sort of a, a peek into what learning looks like more than they have. Right. Like if you're home with your kiddos and they're on a classroom meeting and I, I think it's given I can say for, for my own family, like I have more of a perspective on, you know, individual, my own individual kids and what works for them and what, you know, what doesn't like you're talking about David with the mic, you know, having your camera on like things like that, but also just um, kids knowing almost to where their strengths are, because they have to be more independent, obviously, when they're managing their time at home and, you know, how do they do X, Y, and Z when they're given work time without somebody, whether they have a parent over them or not while they're working. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. I just feel like everybody's gotten a a look in, everybody's examining education more than they have
2: for, for lots of reasons. It's been cool to see the kids take a little more agency. Over their yes. learning, I know, um, we were maybe a month into it and I was talking with my oldest asking her kind of how things were going and just, there was this long pause and she goes, I think I should spend more time on math. <laughs> I was, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you should, but that, that realization hadn't hit her because she wasn't in this place where she had to manage all these different things. So it's, I mean, I hate to say that it's been good for the kids, but I do think that piece has been good. I it's agree. Developing I think
0: some good skills there
1: for sure. Agency is a good a good word.
0: Do you think that it has helped? Maybe you know, just listening to what you guys have been saying in that kind of elusive homeschool home to school partnership, because maybe mm-hmm. some of that empathy has been built between the parents and the educational process, or the student and the educational process, because they have had um, not just the student but the parent has had to develop some agency in and understanding in how challenging it can be to be a part of the that process of educating mm-hmm. a, a student
1: I think if the number of memes about the experience people are having trying to manage at home the number of hilarious memes that are out there indicates that parents are our parents and family members are seeing <laughs> into that world much more
3: yeah, I, I remember one from earlier in the spring that said something like, we should pay teachers a billion dollars. And it had a parent at home trying to help their kid. I, on a, There was a computer in front of him and the kid was in full tears and the parent was clearly frustrated. Um, and it just said, teachers should be paid a billion dollars, something like that. But um, you know, now that we're back and we're, we're using Edgenuity and we're doing Up North Live virtual and all these things, I get messages from on both ends of that, though. Like, I get the parent who I had to go level, 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 trying to figure out this kid's account and why they can't get into their classes. And I get, oh, thank you so much. You're such a great help. We really appreciate it. All your time. Right. And then I get... My kid can't log into his class. Okay, I'm going to help you with this. Here's some information I need, right? And then it ends up not as positive at the end because I think there's an expectation and I, I think it's built into the teaching profession that we know what we're doing and that the the tools that we're using will work. And so when we run into bumps in the road, um, I think we have a kind of a reputation where those bumps end up kind of, I don't know about reflecting on us, but they think we should have those figured out that that should have, that should have not happened in the first place. So, but it's not, it's not universal. As I said, you have the one parent who's like, that was great. Thank you so much for helping me clarify that. And you have the other who I think is basically working from the expectation that, you know, we're all professionals and these should things should all work when we say they will, um, which during a time of pandemic is a really hard thing to do. Um, when, you know, the the, the companies that are um, selling these products are selling to more and more and more and more people and it comes hard to manage. There is that expectation of a level of service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're providing it, but there is still a high level. And for those, when we meet that level, it can be met either with a great deal of gratitude in terms of fixing a thing or a great deal of like, frustration that it didn't happen the first time. And I think both of those are fair.
0: You know, I think that what we've learned is that there is an art to teaching. And, uh, you know, we are in the, the business of, we're, we're, we're a people-oriented business. And with that, there's, um, there's a certain flexibility and uh, room for improvisation that teachers oftentimes have to have. Regardless of the tools that they're using, sometimes things—not just the tool doesn't work, but oftentimes the process that the tool is supposed to sure. be engaged in doesn't work because the individual that you're dealing with at the time, the kiddo that you're working with, just isn't isn't there at that moment to to engage in it. And you know, one of the things that teachers are really amazing at is finding ways to draw the student out um, when that's left up to somebody that maybe doesn't have those skills developed, it becomes very difficult. in those user error moments, not to, to put that on the parents, but oftentimes I would assume that some of those um, struggles with the tools might be not necessarily the issue with the tool, but oftentimes the struggle with that art of teaching at the home.
3: And with that kid not being in the building, and, and is at home, so we've had to, and I don't know about the, uh, everyone else in the pod, but I've had to, I think I've learned about email communication more since we went into our lockdown. And then even during this fall time in terms of what information do I need to get out there in order to try to get the information back that I need? Um, uh, because I don't have a kid sitting in front of me with this computer where I can say, do this, this, and this. Um, and so my experience with using like screenshots um, and and sort of step-by-step instructional things, um, I've been trying to like front load the instruction on how somebody can solve something so that they can have all the information about how that gets fixed, depending on if it's one of two or three different issues. And then I often get a, oh, that worked. And I never quite know what the that is, but that's okay. As long as it works.
0: Awesome. Um, so let's let's get into the the actual, you know, that was that was spring and now we're starting up. We're getting things going. And you know, when we talk about change, not just the environment has changed, but we've also got that traditional going back to school, a lot of things have been started up and there's always some change going into the new school year as we adapt and grow and are trying new things, Um, and one of the things that we're doing this year specific to TCAPS is um, uh, changing our our learning management system, or not changing our learning management system, but actually having a learning management system. In the past, we've, and and still are, a, a Google Apps for Education, is that right? Google Apps for Education district. And though we've kind of made it work as kind of a learning management system, it's a collection of of products to help educators. Would that be an accurate thing? Whereas sure. um, D2L is an actual learning management system. How do those two pieces? How do those two things work together? Because really, that's what we're working into into the mm-hmm. new school year. Trying to learn how those things work together, as well as some of our other digital tools that we're that we've been engaged with in the past.
3: So D2L, Brightspace and and Google, they don't actually, they don't love each other yet. Uh, We're hoping that they they develop a relationship that's a little bit closer. I find that D2L is really helpful for um, tracking student engagement because it'll do that. There's a few of the tools in terms of like course, course content creation that are really nice. Um, it's got some built in, um, assessment features that are really great. Uh, it doesn't do document management well, like Google classroom does where I can go into Google classroom, assign a piece, make a copy for each student. But I maintain, um, ownership rights to all those documents. So I can see where every writer is at any given moment. D2L doesn't do that yet. It's something they are developing sooner than later would be great. Um, But it doesn't do that Um, in terms of the teacher side, in terms of evaluation, when you ask uh, just a like a formative assessment question, like make a list of reasons why the colonists wanted to leave the rule of Britain. Um, In Google Classroom, when you would do that, you would have all those responses on one view. You could project them to the class and discuss how everybody approached it differently in D2L, you can only view one response at a time. So yes, it's more of a learning management system, but it's way less friendly in terms of in-class collaboration with other students. It doesn't really offer that as a feature in the way that Classroom does. There are there are pros and cons to each one. Classroom doesn't track student um, activity on their on their work in the way that that D2L does, but in terms of like, if you're teaching a writing class, classroom is the way to go in terms of just distributing and collecting and managing documents. It's a no brainer. It's, I mean, there's not even a question. With with D2L, you have to, students have to upload. And that means there is a static document that doesn't change if the student changes it. Whereas in classroom, if a student changes a document, it always reflects those changes because it's really just a web page, right? So those are some of the things that I've seen in the first couple of weeks of using both. And I've I've been using Classroom a long time. Uh, I have less experience, obviously, using D2L, but um, I created a quiz today and that was a really uh, easy format. Um, It is leaps and bounds better than Google Forms in terms of the options of kinds of questions that you can ask. Um, So that's great uh, in D2L. I think it would be, Short sighted, or whatever the word you want to use is, to say since we have this, we're no longer ever touching this again. Uh, Google Classroom, I was, I was using this um, kind of comparison. You wouldn't flip a pancake with a snow shovel, right? Unless you're Uncle Buck and you're making a pancake that's this big. Um, D12 is not good for document management, period. Currently, end of story. <laughs> that might change. Uh, I am going to continue using Google Classroom for document management because it's the best tool. It's my spatula. Um, I would be using a snow shovel if I tried to do it in D2L.
2: I don't feel like it's an either or question. I feel like D2L is our learning management system. It's our house. It's it's the the virtual classroom that kids can go to, whether we are online or in person. And then the Google suite. They're tools. We're going to use them when they make sense, like what you're saying, David. And when they don't make sense, we'll pull in another tool. Um, Edutopia had a great article that came out this fall and it was how to align your LMS with the science of teaching. And I thought it was phenomenal because it really talked about how to use your LMS to support executive functions, how to uh, how to make sure you have those successful feedback loops, how to reduce the cognitive load on your kids, like all these different things that you can do within your LMS that really can help us succeed with the science of learning. And I think that's that—that's kind of what we need to remember when we're designing our courses, is that we need to use the tools when they fit, use the science of learning, and kind of use D2L as the house to 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 hold it all.
1: I think it's helpful to, to even just the discussion about what an LMS is for, you know, the discussions around the community, because I think people didn't understand. And I think a lot of teachers like trying to get our head around like, okay, what does an LMS do that Google Classroom can't do? And your discussion of it being a full house and where there's tools that get pulled in. I mean, I think that, it helps you conceptualize what what the discussion, uh, you know, why this was adopted, why we're using this, like you you think about it from that bigger picture.
0: Yeah, hopefully we can get everything, you know, as, as Dave was saying earlier, talking to each other and working together, d- developing that relationship between the different tools that we're using, the house and the tools, get, yeah. get them into their nice tool shed so that we can find them, and use them efficiently, yeah. and that's going to take some time. I mean, it, how, how many years did it take for people to really adopt, you know, the Google Suite yeah. as you know their educational tool of choice? And speaking of flexibility,
3: you know, the, right now because D2L and Google don't really love each other very much, I can't, I can't connect. I can't just click on Google Drive and click to document. I can't. Sometimes it doesn't love PDFs from Google Drive for some reason. So in that case, I have to know as the teacher and be flexible enough to think about okay, well, I can download it from Drive and then upload it as a separate file. And one of our jobs is to remind teachers about there's there's always another way to do something, right? With these online tools, uh, especially with Google Drive, with with the Google Suite, um, if it if it doesn't automatically sync, we can get it there another way. Um, and I think sometimes when when we hit roadblocks like that, we we kind of run into some some folks who just sort of think, "Oh, well, I can't do it. It doesn't work." Well, it might work differently. <laughs> so that's one of the challenges.
0: And I think we're going to continue to uh, look at those two pieces of the um, or those two tools uh, going forward. we also we also did something else uh, over the summer. we We all received some new devices. So how did that process, how does that roll out? Where are we at in that? And um, how, that, how that was working for you? My, my wife who just realized that it was a touch screen, for instance, okay. is like, oh, well, that's a thing. And I'm like, hey, you can actually flip it. And it turns into kind of a tablet thing. She's like, yeah. what?
3: <laughs> so one of, the, what, one of the most common things that I got over the summer was I'm trying to do a Google meet and nobody can see me because there's a shutter at the top of the mm-hmm. up here, right? That closes off your camera. Um, and they had forgotten that. And I was in the room when they were doing distribution, and they would say, and there's a shutter up here, and you can turn it on and off. But, you know, people forget.
2: And, you know, Larry, we didn't just do staff devices. We also gave out devices to students to get them one-to-one up and running at home. We gave out hotspots to families. Like, our technology department was rocking it for a long time.
0: Mm -hmm. What are some of the upgrades that we... uh, from the previous devices that we had? What are some of the things that, um, some of the features that these new devices will have that will make uh, teaching and learning easier?
2: The touch screen for sure. I think of things like like Jamboard. Um, all of those are easier when you can just, especially for littles. Oh my can God. You do that again? My,
0: that was nice.
2: <laughs> that's great for a podcast. Uh, watching my five-year-old navigate the touch screen that's been pretty slick. Like, oh, you can actually do this. You don't have to use two fingers on the mouse and try to get it to-go places. It just feels like it makes it more accessible for everyone.
3: Some of the features are kind of forward-looking in the sense that eventually we'll be able to not have to be stationed at our desk to be connected to the projector. When the new projectors start to roll in, we'll be able to cast from wherever we are in the in the room and that tablet function is going to become a whole lot more um, useful and usable um, as we proceed to a wireless connection to our projectors in the classroom.
2: And is anyone right. else using the nightlight feature? Because that is slick. What? what? The night the nightlight feature in the lower right hand corner in the settings, you can change your screen to be, it's called nightlight. It takes out that the same thing like a blue light glasses sure. would do yeah. yeah so when you're on your screen all day like the first day i had such headaches and it's available on our touch screens and it's also available on the student chromebooks so um i'm using it right now it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful
3: has beautiful anybody view. found the the pen that's in the system tray or close to the system tray in the lower right the whiteboard you have to you have to sign into your microsoft account to use it um, but there's a whiteboard with a, a pen, like, thing. And it's down the lower right-hand corner. And what does it look like? It looks like a pen that's drawing, uh, like, a figure eight or something. So it's right next to your time and date. And when you click on that, it says either whiteboard or full screen snip. And so you could actually just, instead of going into a Jamboard or whatever, if you wanted to do something quick, You could pull up that whiteboard and do that. But it asks you to sign into a Microsoft account to use it because it's part of the Windows 10 pack. It's not like a web app. It's part of the Windows 10 thing. So I haven't used that yet. I actually had a teacher point it out to me yesterday and started asking me a bunch of questions, and I didn't even know what she was talking about. Still I like to learn. The,
2: update, the update to the snip and sketch. Like, remember, David, we used to use Snagit to mm-hmm. take our pictures and then draw on them and show people where to click and arrows and stuff. But now I can just snip and sketch and use my thing again, use my touch screen to <laughs> zoop, zoop, <laughs> circle things and draw arrows and save it. And it just makes me more efficient. Like that I'm doing You're
3: this. you at me. <laughs>
0: Obviously, more to learn on the devices. There's a lot more that we're probably going to find out about, about them. It's great that there's already this much that's exciting um, that our teachers are going to be able to use, and I'm sure the Chromebooks are going to be um, just as functional for the students. Uh, the, the, next, the next thing, actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to combine them because I think they're kind of tied together. Um, and you know, going to Stephanie for this one, it was a media literacy, but I'm going to combine that with mindfulness and empathy. And that those are really the, you know, the mindfulness and empathy is really the going to, to uh, Danielle's analogy, the house, um, that all of this is kind of going to be placed in, or should be placed in, And media literacy, uh, is definitely part of that as well. So, um. I think a lot of the uh, discussion, or a lot of discussion in in our social medias over the past several months has been, and certainly in the spring, um, that I saw was about mindfulness and empathy and understanding the situation that we're in, in the world that we're in, and the things that are going on. What are you are you guys seeing in in the schools and with the staff and the students? Um, in regards to, to that, what do you, what what are, what are we doing to help foster those, those mindsets?
1: I think there's a focus, um, and it's a, you know, it's not, it's not a new focus, but, um, just the social and emotional learning piece and being mindful of when we're sharing resources that are, you know, focused on some of those, um, Learning objectives, right? The social emotional learning objectives for kids, and I think the the whole the whole pandemic, the response to it, and then the push to be virtual in all ways. You know, communication became more virtual. Social media. I think it just highlights the need for um, digital citizenship and media literacy. Just being. I mean, we're seeing it all the time, and the way people are—adults and kids—are communicating on social media and um, and sharing, you know, sources and citing sources that aren't accurate or are, you know, extremely biased or in one direction. But um, none of that is new. But I think the current environment has highlighted the need more than ever.
3: We had a speaker. at the start of the year who presented on culturally responsive teaching. And I actually did a presentation at Wired on the same topic this year, um, it, which isn't about just being multicultural. Uh, it's about responding to the individual culture of your students in a way that allows them to, to let their culture and their heritage, whatever it happens to be, inform the expression of their learning. And, I use the example during my presentation over the summer at Wired. I use the example of the two boys who are watching the Phil Collins or listening to the Phil Collins song, and they'd never heard it before. And um, their reaction to that song, if you haven't seen this, you gotta go find it. It's good. and listen to it. Their response is urban hip hop responsiveness. That they are the the words they use, the expressions they use, the body movements come from their culture, but they are appreciating this song through that lens and allowing them to do that and allowing them to um, um, to hear that song and interpret it in a way that makes sense within their cultural framework is part of culturally responsive teaching. Um, same would be true when you have like a, a, a skater kid talking about uh, the the Declaration of Independence and he wants to bring up you know, skating downtown on handrails and steps, um, you know, validating that conversation and and having that voice be be part of that would be culturally responsive teaching. So it's not just about like race, ethnicity, uh, that kind of heritage. It's about being responsive to um, to the personal culture or to the to the culture of of each student. And I found I found our the guy that presented with us this summer, that he had a great message and I wish we had more time for that kind of messaging about being responsive to kids and allowing them to express their heritage, their culture, their understanding of their learning in a way that also expresses who they are as people. Sometimes we just don't have room for that in the way that we do our curriculum. Uh, but I was I was glad that we had that voice, and we're going to continue to have conversations about about topics around that general idea throughout the school year. Um, I think one of our upcoming staff meetings has to do with implicit bias, and that that's also one of the things I talked about.
0: What are your thoughts, Danielle? I,
2: I feel like these are these are all the things that we've been talking about in the pod for forever, you know, like (laughs) Steffi came on and talked about the need for diverse books. And we've talked about the misinformation online and that we have to teach kids how to look at what they see and decide whether it's real and whether it's from a good source or not. And I kind of want to be like, told you so (laughs) you should have been listening to us. I told you this was a problem, (laughs) right?
1: Come on, come I, on. <laughs> it, I come think on. it I think it helps that the the need has been highlighted. Not that we want there to be this need, but I think that there is your the the problems have been illuminated more starkly.
0: I'm, I'm sorry to, uh, Stephanie. What are we doing to uh to give our students and our community solutions to those problems? I think you know, I, you're, you're absolutely right, Danielle, that, uh, you know, we've been validated to some extent, not that we needed the validation, but you know what? It always feels good. Um, what are some of the things, you know, especially when we've had uh, these these several months to kind of think about it and, you know, see how, you know, how is it going to affect our um, our practice? This is where um, I, I
3: get a little like, it's not, well,
0: don't I get feel fired, like David.
3: it would if we would make meaningful time for it for our staff. It doesn't we don't offer enough opportunities for teachers to practice what that looks like before they have to take it into the classroom. And so you know we talk about trainings. There's an awareness training and there's a practice training. There's a hands-on training. Awareness training is here's what culturally responsive teaching looks like. And then you you gotta try it. You got to do it. You got to put your hands on it. It's one thing just to tell somebody how to cut a board, but unless they get down there with a, a saw and they start feeling what that feels like and know what that how much pressure you need, they're never going to get to know how to cut a board. And so we do a ton of awareness training, but we don't offer a ton of hands-on or practice training. And I think that's a lot of the difference between why we maybe remain stuck in some things and why things maybe haven't developed as, as quickly as we'd like them to.
2: But don't you feel like we're at, I, I almost feel like things are different now. I feel like we're at this place where the need is so great and we can see it everywhere that how can we not be doing this and how can we not be building in time for it? And like, I feel like we're right at the beginning of some pretty cool changes in education, honestly.
3: Yeah, I, I worry that back to the idea of, of covering, you know, we always say, well, we should be deep, not wide but it feels like every, the start of every year is we're going wide again.
0: I think that's one of the things we're talking about with this pod is there is a lot of wide. I think there is a lot of wide because, um, the, our, uh, the landscape has changed significantly on, on several levels, uh, due to the pandemic. Um, and the, uh, you know, the virtual learning and the fact that we've had so much time off and, you know, the car has continued to go down the road. There's always that back to school, you know, these are all the changes that have happened, but then we've kind of compounded that a little bit. I shouldn't say we, it just, you know, things have compounded. So mm-hmm. I, I do wonder if there might be a little bit more of a sense of the wide, um, like it's even, that it's wider than, than usual at the start of the school year, but that might dissipate a little bit as we go into the year and we get used to some of those, okay, this is, you know, we're, 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 findings, we're finding that new normal and we can start to look at what Daniel's you know, speaking to as there are some substantive changes in how we're, our relationships with our students, which is really what we're talking about, our relationships with our students and our parents and ourselves as educators, we're looking at it in a different lens or through a different lens, maybe.
1: I think you're right, Larry. And I think um, the events, you know, the events that have um, transpired over the time of the pandemic, um, I think a lot of people are doing some deep work about where their own, you know, understandings of other cultures and their own understandings of how they work with um, all students and students from, um, you know, backgrounds that are exactly the same as theirs wildly different than theirs whatever it is i think and not just from an educating or an educator standpoint but i think a lot of people are doing a lot of personal work i would say of trying to um figure out how they can help make things better for everybody and address some of those deeper issues but i think from an awareness standpoint i think that awareness is translating into a lot of individual lifelong you know learning and and everybody's everybody's needs are different and i but i see a lot you know it's the it's a discussion point and it's I mean, if you look at what's on hold at tattle it's a lot of books on what you know people are trying to dig in and understand systemic racism and Uh, microaggression and white privilege and all of all of it and it's it's good that is good
0: all right so unbelievably we have gone so brutally long uh, on this but i think it was it was completely necessary and i think i know there's a ton more we could say on each one of these topics but i'm going to cut us off um and uh jump into and i don't know if danielle's prepared for it but it is it's tech tool of the week
1: Tech
2: tool of the week. Um, well, Google Meet has just released some updates. So now you can see up to 49 people, including yourself in a Google Meet. You can turn off the chat. Teachers have been asking for these things for a long time. And they've you tried
3: to. Using- live for our district right now?
2: Ah, David, you shouldn't have asked. I can't <laughs> I can't see it yet but people on Twitter keep talking about it so which means it's coming to us in the next okay Tuesday. okay so um just be on the lookout for it and note that you do have to turn on that layout settings it's off by default you have to go into settings and change layout so that way you can see it so we'll link up some stuff in the show notes on how to do that but it's exciting like I said we've been asking for it and we've had these third-party developers that have been doing extensions that break and then you have to uninstall and reinstall and then they break again and you have to do a different one. And it's just super annoying. So it's really nice that for some of these larger meetings, whether they're classroom meetings or whether they're staff meetings, you can now see everybody. That's really helpful.
1: Larry, could I throw in a second tech tool of the week? Absolutely. So MAL, the Michigan Electronic Library, has organized virtual book bags in by topic, by subject area. And um, those have been shared out through the libraries, but just so that it's another awareness of that being out there, but it takes kids directly from the link right into the the ebook, um, just without you know any sign in necessary from a like an OverDrive or other account perspective. So I think it's awesome the way that they're organizing those for littles.
0: Hey, Dave, you have anything? Uh, like to I've have
3: been playing Sea of Thieves on. Um, the Xbox for PC app, and it's a great kind of like sail around with real physics thing and dig up treasure and fight skeletons game. And I've been having a lot of fun with my friends with that.
0: Well, there we go. Awesome. Uh, Tutorials and updates. I don't even know if this is still a thing, but I noticed that you had a, um, a tutorial set up on YouTube for the Chrome tab. Yeah, it's still a
2: thing. Teachers were struggling with being able to show their being able to show content, like being able to show a YouTube video during a Google Meet. And if you use the Chrome tab, it will give you specific settings for audio and video. So that Mm -hmm. way your kids will all be able to hear. You do need to make sure to turn off your mic um, because otherwise they'll hear the reverberation and echo. And Mm -hmm. it's really annoying for everyone who's watching it. But it does make it easier to show videos. I know that was a struggle at the beginning, too.
0: I wanted to plug Storytime on TCAPS 24-7. So uh, we have a partnership with the uh, Traverse City or the City Opera House. Um, it's Storytime where we have uh, special guests come in and read uh, read some great books and then have a STEM activity afterwards that can be found at www.tcaps247.com. Um, all the episodes are there. Check it out. It's a fun little half an hour series. Another series that's going on right now, and actually it started last night and I highly recommend people kind of check it out. It's the light, the path uh, to a, a happy, kid. It's happy kid, happy kid, happy kid uh, series. And um, I know it can be found, there's links on the TCAPS website, the district website, and I don't have the specific URL for it, but it'll be in the show notes. The um, regrettably the keynote was live and it was live streamed, which is great, but it was not recorded. So if you did, if, if you weren't there, if you didn't see it, that was it. We did have uh, quite a few participants and it was, re- it was, it was really insightful on um, understanding what we can do to um, help kids with anxiety uh, and kind of going through some of those social emotional issues that they may be going through, especially in the, the current environment. So, um, But there is going to be a workshop uh, free um, every, I want to say Tuesday, uh, throughout the month. And actually, the closing keynote will be live as well on live stream. So we'll have more information regarding that as we get closer. But highly recommend um, checking that out. There's going to be some great information and discussion. So
2: I just want to say too, Larry, the closing keynote is Michelle Borba, who's the author of Unselfie. Um, she's going to be fantastic and talking about a lot of this digital literacy stuff that we talk about often on the pod.
0: Yeah, awesome. So sign up for that um, and definitely look for it because it's going to be if it's anything like the first one. Um, the first keynote, it was, it was great. It was great. Also wanted to, uh, plug the TCAPS tech help site. If you do have any questions, uh, regarding, um, technology in TCAPS, that's a great place to go. So, uh, look for that. Also, if you have any, uh, COVID related questions or safe start to school or back to school questions, um, check out the, um, the safe start website, TCAP state safe start website. It's www.tcaps.net backslash safe start. There is a ton, ton of information there. I know everybody's got questions about, um, what the start of school is going to look like next week or the, the face-to-face is going to look like next week, you know, students, staff, uh, parents, the community, ton of information there. So I definitely recommend, uh, checking that out. That's, um, tcaps.net backslash safestart. I'm going to give you guys any famous last words, anything that you guys want to end the end the show with before I go into the closing.
2: I can do one. I did see a great quote from a teacher on um, Facebook and she was talking about all the things she has to do and she said, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh.
3: Can I quote myself? <laughs>
0: Only David. Not yes.
3: everything is a wildfire or a crying baby.
2: <laughs> Thanks, David. I do need <laughs> to remember that. <laughs> that's great.
0: All right. In closing, follow us on Facebook and Twitter @tcapsloop. at TCAP
2: well, at BrostromDA, at Stephanie Light.
0: Oh, that's Sorry? okay. That's okay. Gugamuth awesome. moment. Leave <laughs> that in. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I can't believe actually we've had two this entire uh, podcast. So that's amazing. I'm yeah. shocked. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Downcast, Overcast, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or wherever else you get your ear candy. Leave a review. We love the feedback. And one last moment of Zen. The world as we have created, it is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Thank you, Albert Einstein. And thank you for listening and inspiring. And we aren't recording anymore.